Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today, we're joined with David Martin, the founder and director of Beat ALS Benefit Concert. Dave, we are so excited to hear about this great event you're having. Tell us a little bit about your mission and what ALS is, and then go in and tell us about this big event you're, you're putting on. Um, so ALS, uh, commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and it's a neurodegenerative disease that basically, in simple terms, means that the muscle fibers that connect the brain to the muscles are uh, deteriorating and become basically dead, um, taking away all muscle function from its patients. And then um, it is a terminal disease, and the average lifespan is two to five years. And it can range from a quick diagnosis that's short-lived, and, and there have been patients that have uh, actually lived up over uh, 10 years. And so our mission is to educate individuals about ALS. As you guys know, the Ice Bucket Challenge took place in 2015 and raised about $113 million, had over 100, 100 million shares on social media, and a really great push um, in the right direction for, for the disease and for the research that was being done. And uh, we found, uh, you know, six years later that there's still a real misconception about what ALS is and that um, because it's known as two different terms, Lou Gehrig's disease and ALS, people don't really understand that it's one and the same. And so just the the sheer difference of of the terminology can can lead people a little bit to be unsure about what it means. So, So that's our first and foremost mission is to educate people. And we educate people through telling real life stories of individuals with ALS. All of our benefit concerts do have a, a real component to them where we will interview and feature patients in the ALS community. Um, we'll talk about their life prior to ALS. We'll talk about their family, their careers, their loves, hobbies, all of those things, because we believe that the, the disease is not the defining characteristic of these individuals, that they are so much more. But we also acknowledge that the process of which people go through to find out the diagnosis for ALS is very unique. It's not a one-time doctor's appointment where they they check you and then they say, yep, you've got ALS, and, and then you move on. It's a series of tests from MRIs to CAT scans to nerve testing to muscle testing, and, and it's very arduous. There's a lot of a lot of uncertainty throughout that process, and, and really doctors are trying to rule out everything else and, and don't want to come to the conclusion of Lou Gehrig's disease. So they're trying to find any possible you know, diagnosis that does not involve uh, ALS. But as that diagnosis comes, it's it's terminal, and there's no there's no cure currently. So it's it's not a great not a great diagnosis to receive. And so we we do talk about people's experience um, as they go through that process of, of of finding out they have ALS. And then lastly, um, in terms of education, we we like to talk about what people. Um, how their mindset changes uh, post-diagnosis. Um, when you have a timestamp on your life, you think about different things. You are passionate. You are focused on different things, and that's been the most inspirational part for me in my in my line of work because I'm able to talk to people who really have a 
a really clear perspective of what matters most in life. And that's what we hope audiences will take away from um, our concerts in addition to a great night of music. But they will say, you know, I am not really focusing on the things in my life that matter most right now. I'm getting sidetracked by so many things that really, in fact, don't matter. And so that is an education component. I don't think you can you can kind of lay out in a in a textbook or in a in an instructional video. This is just a person who who has this reality in their life, and they they have no other choice but to kind of take on that new perspective. And it's been really really inspiring for us. So so our our mission is to educate, but then we also do these concerts with music of the Beatles, all the greatest hits from you know I want to hold your hand to Here Comes the Sun to to Hey Jude and uh, music that audiences just love. And so they're able to come and kind of, you know, get get lost in the music for, for a couple of hours. And, and, and the words and the lyrics uh, and these Beatles songs are really inspirational. So they fit right into our mission. And then the last uh, component of our threefold mission, which is to educate, entertain, and then the last one is to inspire. We hope people feel better upon coming to our concerts and, and do have a greater resolve after our concerts to really make more of their life. Uh, Creighton Ryder, uh, I was introduced to Creighton by, by Kellyanne's dad, Mark, and he's had ALS now for 12 years and continues to uh, live life uh, to the fullest. But his, his motto is live until you die. And he has done that, lived that way. And uh, it's inspirational for me. And I think there have been other people who have kind of taken that motto and, and applied it to their own life. So, and long story short, that's basically our threefold mission, which is to educate, entertain, and inspire. I love it. It's an awesome mission. And I, I and one I fully relate to, my husband passed away from cancer. And when he was giving the diagnosis, and that at first we were told 10 years, then we were told three to five years, and he ended up living 22 months. It is so true wow. that when you get that diagnosis, life changes. All of a sudden, things yeah. don't matter. How somebody squeezes toothpaste, uh-huh. like the daily things inside your house, like how the toilet paper roll is, who's underwear are on the floor did they make it into the laundry basket how do you squeeze your toothpaste like none of those things matter any longer and suddenly it's like we have to work we have to bring in money and what are the most important things to do between now and the time that i'm no longer on this earth right and so and that's different for everyone who gets that diagnosis for my husband he's he put off uh vacations with the family a lot of time and he's like i want to take a cruise with my children i want to go take my grandchildren and my children that can go with us to disney world he had some very specific creating those memories he wanted to create some memories as best as he could and i'll be honest it wasn't great because my husband was in a lot of pain and not super healthy when we went but he did his very best to create the best memories that he could and so i love this mission to inspire other people who we're all living our lives. We're so busy. We get caught up in a lot of stuff, but really, honestly, we're all on a clock and we don't actually know when the clock is going to be up. So true. So it's, it's a great opportunity to kind of have fun, reflect, but also reprioritize our lives. Right. And David, I, I appreciated what you said about the diagnosis process, because like Michelle, what you're talking about, this diagnosis process, when John was diagnosed with cancer, 
there was a certain battery of tests with certain doctors and medical providers who could confirm he has cancer. He has this kind of cancer. Mm-hmm. And yet ALS, David, you, you mentioned how it's kind of found by ruling out what it's not. You, if you're, exactly. you've got symptoms, can you tell our listeners maybe what some of the symptoms might be that will lead a patient into then having that battery of you're getting the MRI, you're having the nerve test, the muscle test. What other illnesses might they rule out before they come to the conclusion of ALS? And I guess what you're saying is there is no blood test, medical test, machine that can test and say for sure it is ALS. ALS is more kind of this conglomerate of it's not the other things, right? Exactly. So what will happen is there is any number of more prominent uh, symptoms, one of which is is drag leg, which is you start losing functionality to one of your legs. You might experience pain in your back. Um, a lot of people will lose the ability to grip, so their their hands and and arm muscles stop working. Many will experience uh, difficulty swallowing and or speaking, and then um, some will have falls. Um, unexplainable, you know, uh, a person that we just barely benefited. One of the uh, symptoms that he experienced was when he was playing football, um, would step back to, to do a pass and just would fall over. And this was a very athletic person. Wow. Had no problem with uh, with physical activity. Um, and then the other component in his situation was fatigue. So a lot of these symptoms are very common. I mean, difficulty swallowing or difficulty speaking, obviously that's going to be more of a red flag, but to kind of lower back pain or, you know, my my legs aren't really working, maybe I've got bad knees. And so you go through this process of all of these different tests and doctors are are trying to, like you said, rule out everything else and then the the conclusion of of ALS. And And the problem is with ALS too is blood work will come back clean. Uh, CAT scans and MRIs, for the most part, will come back clean. And so you're basically told there's nothing really that we can see that's wrong, but then as they go through more tests and a deeper investigation of what's going on, then they start seeing more of these these underlying conditions. And so that's what's super hard. And, and oftentimes they come on slow. Some people will live with symptoms of ALS for years, and it's not until this kind of, you know, little lack of strength in my leg becomes so unbearable that I just go, oh, I've been dealing with this for, you know, a year and a half. I probably should just go get it checked out. And then the doctors will say, you've had this ALS, you know, diagnosis for for longer than, than what you currently... Than what you're aware. And and we all know, like you said... experiencing... ALS is Lou Gehrig's disease. Obviously, he was, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most beloved baseball players that that ended up, uh, ended his career, it ended his life. Can you tell us um, some of the gender impact of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease? It, the people I know and can think of in my own life have all been men. Do women mm-hmm. get ALS? Is it just predominantly male or is it exclusively yeah. male? Um, it's not. The, the, the statistic is one in 350 men and one in 450 women. Well, it's um, not that so, much different. So the number is... Yeah, so the number, the, the difference between the genders is, is not really, you know, large. It's it's pretty close. And um, I've worked with more males than females in my line of work, but 
there definitely is. I've worked with different uh, families and things. Uh, ALS definitely uh, affects women as well. Um, and, and what's difficult, too, with ALS is they're, they're not really able to discover or, or find out really the cause, right? So that's, that's the real question mark right now with Lou Gehrig's disease and ALS is, is the gene that impacts ALS can't really be traced to any underlying conditions. Um, say some studies have found that it's more uh, common in, in military. So uh, if people served in the military and they can, you know, there's a decent population of, of ALS patients who have, have had military experience. But 90% of all ALS cases are what they call sporadic. So there is no known cause. And that can be very, very frustrating for not only patients but doctors as well because it's not preventable. It's not. It's not treatable. Um, they do have some. Um, they have one uh, Radicava, which is the only FDA-approved medication, which can, in some uh, situations, slow down symptoms and, and the progression. But it's not a guarantee, and it's uh, pretty expensive. So, you know, but the 10% uh, of ALS patients are genetic, um, so it is a, a hereditary. Can be. And if it runs in your family, it's a one in two chance of, of carrying the gene. Um, so if it runs in your family, that can be um, pretty um, difficult wow, as well, knowing that that one in two, 50 percent. And, and so, I mean, it comprises 10 percent. So it's not the most, not even close to the most uh, common, but the sporadic ALS is the one that they're still just trying to find you know, causes and, and connecting patients to life experience. There's a, a guy who has ALS right now, um, and he has gone through probably over 100 different treatments uh, worldwide. Wow. And, and he's done well for himself financially, um, so that's provided him an opportunity to take a more aggressive approach to, to combating avenues. the disease. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but he he and, and this is this isn't you know fact. This is just kind of him through his experience saying, you know, I received a concussion. I was in a really bad skiing accident, and it opened up some some parts of my spine that maybe you know. And so we're just kind of grasping at straws. And trying to find the the causes of ALS, and so, you know, as they continue to do research and they continue to do studies, we're moving forward. But the, the rate of research is just it's pretty slow. Wow. Um, we need to take a break, and when we come back, let's talk about the concert and uh, sure. uh, tickets, where we can get them, when the benefit is, and then. I guess you have a few little options for uh, schools, for fundraisers. Sure. And so we'd love to hear about that as well. We'll be right back. David, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm excited to hear about this concert and tell us about where we can get our tickets, where it's going to be held, and uh, tell us more about the options for fundraisers. Yeah, so as a former school teacher, I taught school for six years um, and then had a vocal hemorrhage, actually, that uh, kind of took me out of the profession. 
but uh, have since recovered and have been able to continue um, performing and, and making music in the community, which has been awesome. But kind of stepping away from education um, opened this door to to the world of benefit concerts and the world of, of ALS. And I decided to kind of take my, my experience in the classroom and provide a service to schools where we come in and we teach the kids, uh, you know, anywhere between 10 to 15 uh, Beatles songs, um, all performed with a live band and an orchestra and and dancers and technical theater. It's kind of a, a big production. And uh, we, we've done now, uh, this will make... Uh, six or seven concerts that we've done at the high schools and junior highs. And so the two upcoming concerts that we have this October, the 6th next week, um, will be um, at Jefferson Junior High School. And that's going to have around 170 participants. Um, It'll be an outdoor concert at the school, and uh, we'll have a live band, like I said, and, and 160, 170 kids. So that's super fun. And then the following week, it'll be at Hillcrest, uh, with Hillcrest High School, but we're performing it at Midvale uh, Middle School. So uh, it's been a blast, I, 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 I feel, for teachers and the, the workload that they have and the experiences that they're trying to provide for their kids. And so if I can come in and uh, take a little bit off their plate, uh, take over uh, some of the teaching, take over uh, putting together the concert um, and, you know, forming some fun and good friendships with these teachers as well. Um, It's just kind of a win-win for me. And the kids, I feel like, are a very, very receptive audience. So how do you get um, your tickets? uh, So if you just go to BeatALSBenefit.com, it'll say purchase tickets for the Jefferson concert. Um, which is, like I said, October 6th, and then the Hillcrest concert tickets will be available uh, shortly. Okay. So, David, what does the process look like when you're working with a school? I mean, 150 kids, it's not like they're going to learn 10 to 15 Beatles songs in a single setting. Can you walk us through maybe, let's say, a school wants to be involved? How, How did they come to be involved? How much time do you spend in the classroom? What does it take to actually put this concert together? So my my standard time frame is typically about six weeks, and I will attend um, various classes, choir classes, and that's anywhere between like an hour to an hour and a half. Most of the concerts that I have done, um, I, I approached one school and said, "Hey, can we can we do this? We have this idea." And this was Benny in junior high school back in 2017. I said, "I've got this idea. Would you be willing to let us?" come and do it. And uh, my friend who was the choir teacher at the time said, sure. So we taught after school. And so I ended up doing about 17, 17 or 20 rehearsals with the kids for about an hour to two hours. And that was longer than I would have liked, but kind of a first time go, it, it was ex- experimental. We were kind of figuring things out. Well, after that, um, a friend of mine who was a teacher at uh, Elkridge Middle School said, hey, I love this idea. How about you come and do this here well because the teacher was so on board you know we got together and picked the song set and then he was able to teach a lot of the music during class i would come in and help out but it wasn't all on my shoulders to to come in and teach and so he was able to get the community involved the faculty um we ended up having 400 kids in that concert and uh, ended up raising uh, $12,000 for that wow, concert that's which was awesome. so cool that is and so awesome so, yeah, so a sold-out audience at Bingham High School, which was about 1,500 audience members, and so cool 
so amazing. We really just had a blast. And, um, and so teachers will approach me and say, hey, I'm interested in doing this. So we figure out the song set. We figure out the day of the concert, where it's going to be held, the needs that they have. We do T-shirts um, for all of our concerts as well, tie-dye or, or fluorescent, you know, to give the kids just kind of a, I'm part of something, you know, fun and I'm part of something, um, you know, exciting. But uh, my my average time is is usually about about thirty hours um, of, of time going to the schools and working with the kids. So, and right now it's uh, pro bono, so I'm not really getting paid uh, to do that. I'm just trying to get our mission out there, and then hopefully it'll take. And our goal, kind of, now is to get donors and sponsors to see the value of what we do, not only providing a service for the ALS community, but also you know serving. The schools, right? Providing yeah. kids, teenagers, meaningful opportunities. And as we've done um, post-concert write-ups, questionnaires or surveys of the kids after the fact, we have uh, found that the kids really, really like the experience. They have said, you know, I love this song. I love learning about ALS. I loved meeting these people and their families. I had no idea the people live their life this way. I had no idea that this was a a thing, and I loved being able to sing a song and use my talents to actually make a difference. And that's what I think is just so fun because you do Christmas concerts and spring concerts and all of these different songs that are fine, but they're really just strictly entertainment. They're really just strictly kids learning the song, developing some skills along the way, but you know. No, it's really awesome that you're basically empowering the kids to be a part of a movement to be able to raise money and make a difference in somebody else's life. That's powerful. And at the the Elkridge concert, I mean, we had um, Darren Redden, who has since passed, come up on stage in his wheelchair with his family for 1,500 people and uh, just have 1,500 people you know clapping and singing and phones are out and he's doing doing 360s in his wheelchair <laughs> and you you can't you can't write that you can't no. you can't recreate that if you tried but so many concerts that we've done are our main our main message is to take a sad song and make it better classic classic line classic from Beatles hey Jude, right? line right exactly mm-hmm. classic classic Beatles line because all of us have sad songs it's unavoidable and it can be anything. It can be depression. It can be anxiety. It can be terminal disease. It can be loss of loved one. It can be poverty. It can be disaster. It can be anything. Like sad songs are inevitable. But we have found with our ALS patients that they don't, you know, sink down. They don't give up. They don't fall into this depressive state that completely paralyzes them mentally. You know, they lose almost all functionality to their body, but their brains and their spirits and their attitudes stay relatively positive. Obviously, I'm not there for all of the dark times. Uh, Christopher Clark, who was my um, inspiration behind this, said, you get 15 minutes a day to cry. You get 15 minutes to let it all out, and then you, you get back to work and you get back to living your best life. And so, you know, we are trying to do that. We're trying to take you know, situations and, and, you know, difficult situations and helping people see the positive. Hey, David, can we, can we talk about that for a minute? That, that personal connection you have with Chris? Um, I love, I love the Beatles line, take a sad song and make it better. And we do all have sad songs in our lives. Can you tell us how maybe Chris's story 
might be part of your sad song and even the sad song of this foundation and how that kind of became the the motivation or the inspiration to make it better. Do you mind telling us his story a little bit, maybe your connection to him and how it's now become this that it is? Yeah, so in in 2016, um, well, flashback one year, in 2015, um, I did the show, uh, The Musical Ghost, at Hale Center Theater in West Valley, and Chris was the director, and we just kind of formed this friendship, and it was pretty pretty casual. Um, You know, the rehearsal process went kind of as normal, and then the run of the show was pretty standard for me. Um, And then later that year, in the wintertime, December, they had fired somebody from another production he was working on and he said you want to come in and and fill into this spot and I was like this is not going to work but I'll I'll try it anyway and and ended up being a great experience but throughout that process he had started experiencing pain in his back uh, really to the point where he would have to lay down in rehearsals and so you know he's 44 years old thinking I'm just getting old and I'm not, you know, as young as I used to be. And, and so it just kind of had been this um, constant thing. Well, we had set up a lunch date back in, you know, December. He's like, we should go to lunch and we'll talk about your life and talk about your career and talk about what you want to do. Because I was kind of a crossroads. Well, we get together in March. You know, he kept the lunch date and shows up to Cubbies and Lehigh and walking with a cane and I made some off color comment about, you know, what happened. And, and he was just like, no, that's, that's not it, you know, but let's, let's chat about it. And through the course of that conversation, he told me that he had a uh, Lou Gehrig's disease and that it was terminal. And I had no clue. I had no idea. And the rest of that conversation, we actually just talked about me. We kind of touched on ALS and kind of what he was thinking, but, we just talked about my future, and, and it was just a great conversation. He's a tremendously uh, caring and sensitive person. So I just went home and cried and thought, what, what is going on? You know, ha, ha, this doesn't happen to, to people. This is something that happens to, to other people, right, not, not to people that I know. And so I had this idea that we were doing these Beatle concerts at my junior high school, and let's, let's do one and raise money. And, but then over the course of the next six months, I would end up leaving my position as a teacher, but I still wanted to do this benefit concert for Chris. And, and really the whole inspiration behind Chris Clark is that he, re, he revolutionized um, theater. He was the director of the department at UVU. Um, he did his master's over in England. He was a film actor, a stage actor, a brilliant director. He was a pianist. He his life was about changing people's lives with art. And so it was a kind of a direct, a really clear transfer for me to find a person who I cared about deeply, who had impacted me through art, to then say, let's use that same tool of the live experience, the synergy that exists between audience and performer, and the ability a performer has to take a text, to take a song, to take a show or a, a theme and convey that to people where they, they are changed. Uh, a director I once worked with said the difference between theater and film is that change happens, but when you're doing theater, you're there in person when that takes place. And you can't, you can't recreate that, right, in, right. in a film setting or a TV show or, or something like that. So Chris was wonderful enough to let me use his experience as kind of a springboard for what we were doing 
Um, our first concert we did was May of 2017. Uh, we raised $10,000. We had 46 performers, um, a live uh, full choir, a full orchestra, and he was our, our keynote speaker. This was really early on into his diagnosis, but uh, he, in an interview with KSL, actually said, so much good has come from this diagnosis and as, as horrible of a disease as it is, and it's still weird to think that he's gone. He, he died last June in 2020, and and he had been my my pillar of light, my you know my beacon to say like I'm doing this for you, man. Every day, as I you know basically do this work without a paycheck, um, and it's not about the money, but at some point in time you have to provide for your family. But to say like it doesn't matter, man. You imp- you impacted my life. You changed my life, and so I'm going to do everything in my power. To, to to tell your story and to be, you know, to honor you through our our efforts. And uh, we've continued to do that. And Chris and Lisa and their family are an inspiration. I don't know if you ever get a chance. I mean, Lisa works for uh, BYU TV um, and is one of the most inspirational people yeah. that I've ever had the privilege of knowing. So. Oh, I appreciate you telling us that backstory and helping to connect those dots. I recently heard Lisa speak on losing her husband to ALS and that journey from the family side. But I love to see how you as a friend have stepped in and, and while he was still living and even now in his is his wake to carry on that legacy. And like I said, I'm doing this for you, man. Like that didn't stop mm-hmm. the day he passed. In fact, it probably fueled a greater need to carry on in what you're doing. And I just love that. Uh, love how you're there for his memory, his family, for Lisa and their children and all the others in the performing community who just love that man and miss him every bit as much as you do. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, David, we're hoping you can tell us what resilience looks like to you, both in your foundation and in these concerts and also you in your personal life to hopefully help inspire our listeners as you've educated and entertained Let's kind of hone in on that inspiration piece of what does resilience look like to you. We'll be right back. All right, David, we've loved learning about your foundation, about your friendship with Chris and others that you know that have struggled with this terrible disease, ALS, your love for music and performing and knowing that entertainment truly can educate and inspire. And we'd love to hear what you think resilience looks like in your life. I would say resilience is probably a pretty, you know, standard answer of taking you know, a very difficult situation, um, kind of defying all odds and, and overcoming it. ALS is, is not something that you can beat. Um, it's not something that if you <laughs> strap up your boots and, and you know, turn, turn and face this thing head on, that it's going to, to cure it or, or that, you know, that you're going to somehow um, get through it without, without its its diagnosis and um and so i think resilience means that you you take your opportunities you take your situation and you make the most of that situation that we do have sad songs and and there is no way to avoid that but we don't have to be sad in those songs and we can we can take from those uh difficult situations and 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 life 
lessons and make the most out of it. And the people in, in the ALS community, to me, are the definition of resilient because they have no choice but to move on. They have no choice but to, to wake up the next day knowing that they are losing every aspect of their life. Um, when Chris lost the ability to play the piano, um, what does that do to a person? When he lost his ability to speak, like what does that do to a person? Well, for him, he continued to write. He continued to direct even when he was only able to say three or four words to the, to the, to the cast about what they were supposed to do. And so as I've seen people with ALS live essentially their best life, that's resilience um, as an example for me. And so in my life, it's, I really don't have any excuses, right? <laughs> like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm dogging it, I, I really have nobody but myself to kind of call to action and say, you're better than this. And, and even though I'm human and I don't have a terminal diagnosis to kind of put me in that position, I try every single day to, remember Chris, to remember others, and to say, I owe it to the people who have it harder than I do to make a difference. And if they can't do it for themselves, I'm going to do everything I can to help them and those like them. And that's been my my motto. And for me in this organization, I mean, I basically have worked the last uh, going on seven years for nothing. Uh, I haven't taken a cut for, for my work. Um, this is, you know, thousands of hours. Um, but I believe in it, and I'm hoping at some point in time to, to get some donors and some sponsors to say, you know, it's not going to be the high life by, by any stretch, but it would be nice at some point to, to make somewhat of a career out of what I do and, and to be able to provide for my family. But until that time happens, ALS isn't stopping, and so, so neither am I. Oh, I just love that so much. Powerful, powerful story. I, I love what you said about the ALS community embodying resilience, even though not one of them is going to beat their disease. And we can unpack that for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we think resilience means we win. Mm -hmm. We hang in there long enough and we come out up on top and we're going to keep fighting and scrapping until we are victorious against whatever it is in our lives. When in reality, maybe the greatest victory is knowing you can't beat or fix or change whatever you're facing. And yet... You're still going to get out of bed in the morning. You're still going to live your best life. You're still going to inspire those who will long outlive you to do and be beautiful things. And loving loving that concept that it isn't necessarily the victory at the end of the battle that defines resilience. It's the fight. Yeah. It's, it's, and that is the process more than the outcome because there's so many things we can't control in life in terms of what the outcomes will be. And yet we can control how we fight day to day and how we carry on and how we continue to, you know, in Chris's case and, and so many others, motivate and inspire people along the way. And then I love what you said. So what's my excuse? Like, man, I probably should stop complaining because I've I've got it pretty good. I spent um, part of September in New York City with some different events honoring the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And I was in a right. room. I was in a room with some military families who had lost loved ones in the war on terrorism. I was in a room with some wounded warriors who had lost legs or arms or both and and firefighters or their surviving families. And there was this man who was speaking for a quick minute and he lost both of his legs in the war. And he said some people were just so surprised at how positive he was. They'd look at him and say, hey, you've lost both of your legs. Why in the world are you so positive? And his response to them was, you still have yours 
Why are you so negative? And I just thought, whoa, okay, quiet, mic drop. I'll uh, stop complaining about the things that drive me crazy in life or that I'm so worried about. But that inspiring attitude when you've seen someone going through something that we would all just crumble under to say, you know what, if they can do that, I guess I can face my that, whatever my that might be. Well, and it, it does happen to people. That's what's just so bizarre to me. It's like we say, how could this happen to me? It's like it happens. Like it's just a fact. It's a reality. Life happens to people. Yeah. And if you happen to fall in, 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 if you have to fall in the place where that happens to you, that that is life. And it's hard. But you, you start saying like, I'm complaining about this where across the world someone is actually living in turmoil or they are experiencing, I mean, it's, it's kind of bizarre. You scroll through your feed on social media and you'll see earthquake devastates this part of the world. And then the next picture is somebody posting something about some dish they had the night before. And you're going, what is this world that we live in where we are so used to compartmentalizing or categorizing these drastically different life events? Right. And and it doesn't really impact us anymore. And so I, I have to start saying like, uh, well, at the end of our concert on the 10th of June, uh, the 10th of uh, September, um, we did a benefit for a, a guy in American Fork and we finished the concert and I got in my car. I was driving and, and they were ahead of me. The family was ahead of me in their van, right, their their wheelchair accessible van. And as I watched them turn down the street, I said, we just had an awesome concert, and it probably was one of the high points of their life, and they are going to go back home to this reality that they live in of caring for their father who's got, you know, a terminal disease. And I'm saying, like, that's just, we don't think about it. We don't think about people's realities and what they're going through because we're so wrapped up. And I think of anything for me, it's, I'm always just trying to push myself out of thinking about myself and trying to think about other people because people live very difficult lives and that, and that whatever I can do to help alleviate that in a small way, I know it's probably insignificant, but I'm like, I'll, I'll do my best to do that. You know, I love your story and I love your heart. You know, we live in a society that is so goal-oriented, so we always think about big things, big goals, big dreams, big whatever, and then what we're going to do to get to that thing, right? Right. But this is something that I I tried to relate to my husband, and he didn't get it until he got his diagnosis. Like, it's really not about the destination ever. It really isn't. It is about our journey. And... You know, one of the things my husband said to me when he did get his diagnosis is he turned to me and said, I should have taken all of those vacations you wanted me to take. I think that sometimes we get so focused on the goals that we forget to live life in the moments in between. The goals are great. I, I, I'm big into that. I, I you know, I, I help my friends set goals and achieve goals and, and, and whatever, and I support that. But I think it's really important to also be present for the day that we're living. This might be our only last day. Last night I had an opportunity to drive up through the Alpine Loop and just take in the leaves, the falling and changing color of the leaves. And it was so breathtaking. And I stood in a meadow. I walked out uh, with my friend onto this meadow and, and we were kind of in a meadow where we couldn't see anyone else around us. And I looked up and we could see all these colors in in the mountains all around us. And I thought, we live on such an amazing planet. 
And this moment is so beautiful and I can never recreate this moment. And I just took it in and really appreciated the moment I was in. And I, I really, I'm so happy that I have the ability to appreciate it because I think in some ways I'm unique. I watch my husband have to surrender life and leave. And, you know, people that are suffering with it, whether it's a terminal illness or whatever their struggle may be, um, you know, we all struggle with a lot of things, but we could, especially right now, take that drive because the leaves are going to fall. They're going to be gone. And actually it changes every hour. And just up there. capture that moment. Just yeah. capture the moment. It's fleeting, right? Yeah. But we can take in a deep breath and enjoy the place where we're at right now. It doesn't have to be later. Well, and concerts might seem insignificant. I mean, it's a lot of work for not a lot of money. Um, you know, there are far more probably efficient ways in some respects to to raise money, walks or rides or golf tournaments or silent auctions or any number of fundraising efforts that take place. But but for me, as I'm on stage with my friends who've got ALS and I see the audience and I see them and I go, that's it. Yeah. Right. Right. That, that's the that moment. That to me is, is what these people are just basking in this moment and they're saying like life sucks right now but for the next three minutes as we're singing the na-na's at the end of hey jude and i'm with my friends and with my family like that's it and and i have uh, family members of, of people who have attended our concert uh, family members of our of our patients who have just said like we felt like rock stars absolutely like and you get we the adrenaline the, the, you get the dopamine you get the yeah. the, the natural yeah. high of the right. moment and you're right that synergy yeah. between those that are participating in the audience and those that are on stage that you can't recreate that mm-hmm. and i love that and honestly like it fuels my fire um and concerts are hard like there's a lot that goes into it and so many moving parts but i just go when we're there and everybody's there and and it pays off, I just, yeah. you know, like, well, David, it's thank enough you. To, to do it again. Yeah, thank you for doing it again. For all of these years, for all of these young people who you've helped empower to be part of the the give back and the charity, hopefully that, you know, with enough money and research, maybe we can find a solution to ALS, to cancer, mm-hmm. to any of these horrible diseases. Thank you for your love for your own friends and connections that have motivated and continue to inspire you. And thank you for joining us today. We look forward to your concert and hope many of our listeners who are in the Salt Lake Valley will take advantage of the opportunity to attend, to encourage these young people in sharing their talents in such a meaningful way. And to our listeners, we are grateful for you for tuning in again today. We hope that you've subscribed to our podcast on your favorite platform. If you're willing, please go give us a rating and a review. It helps us to get the show out there and also know where we can improve. And as you're listening, if you or someone you know has a real story about real life that you're willing to share, please send us an email at rrpodcast at ksl.com. Or find us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. I want to make just one more plug to BeatALSBenefit.com is where you'll find your tickets. That's www.BeatALSBenefit.com. Go purchase your tickets. Go support this and join our community in such a great cause. Remember, whatever you're doing today... Be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their life.
Have a great day.